Hello and welcome to Bookmark. Today we have with us Professor Mukesh Sood and Professor Priyank Narayan with their latest book Leapfrog: Six Practices to Thrive at Work. Professor Mukesh Sood is an associate professor at IIM Ahmedabad and has 3 decades of professional experience divided between academia and entrepreneurship. Professor Mukesh is also a visiting faculty at Ashoka University. Priyank Narayan is the founding director of entrepreneurship at Ashoka. He has conducted courses on design thinking, innovative management, developing an entrepreneurial mindset. We are very honored to have you both here today. Thank you. Okay. Through this podcast, we're not only trying to get into the content of the book, but we're also trying to get to know the authors. So, if I may ask, are there any methods that you have adopted or that you have come up with in your mundane tasks that you have to go through? Yeah. So we 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 have used many of these while writing the book. For example, we would nudge ourselves. We would uh, set targets for ourselves, and I would set targets for Priyank, and then he would send that back to me. So we've used a lot of these what the practices that we've right. in the book, and set impossible timelines. Mm-hmm. And then the other would say, "Okay, I'll try and get at least there fifty percent." Mm-hmm. Secondly, we have very different lifestyles. Mm-hmm. So I sleep early, but I'm up at two thirty or three. Uh, Priyank sleeps very late. So very often, I would send him something around two two thirty in the morning, and I would get a, an answer within fifteen minutes. and then i would be able to work the whole morning through mm. and send it back to him so this constant uh, to and fro mm. and a slight amount of competitive spirit is what i think pushed the book ahead especially during difficult times what inspired you to collaborate on this work and why did you see a need of this kind of a book in today's world see we come from very different backgrounds <coughs> i mean uh, priyank has been in liberal arts universities here in india and um, i've been teaching for MBA students and PhD students at the institute. Uh, prior to that, I was in the US and again teaching with liberal arts colleges. So we felt that we have a set of complementary skills. Uh, he uh, Priyank has because of his relationship with Ashoka, uh, been involved in incubation and acceleration in startups. I come from a research background where we spend most of our careers writing research that goes into technical journals. So we asked ourselves that when so much of information is already there. but hidden away why can't we translate that into simple english into something that the users can read enjoy and we figured that storytelling was the best way to do that so we then bounced ideas of each other uh, we used priyank's experience with students and mine in research to put together a book that uh, takes actual research and translates that into something users can find both interesting one of the popular business titles out there is called built to last But early on in the Leaf Rocks introduction, you talk about why it's necessary to tweak the phrase "built to thrive" on the current world. Can you talk more about this necessity for this tweak? Sure. So, you know, we've also given the context of why we are saying this. Ultimately, uh, we all have to realize that the pace of change and the kind of uh, external factors that are impacting our lives, our careers, our businesses, our startups are very very strong and very very fast so the pace at which they change impact our lives every day right so today what we need to focus on is how are we thriving given that context it's about being able to leapfrog when the world around you changes and the pandemic is a classic example there are many businesses that became irrelevant there are many businesses that could not stand through the the sort of onslaught of the changes that happen and if you create a career and a business and 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 a profile 
that can withstand all of this, then you'll be able to thrive in any given business environment. And that's the context of saying, are we really creating something that's going to stay strong in that context? Or is it something that's going to adapt and thrive and leapfrog through various different changes that are going to happen? One has to realize that in today's time, everybody's careers are going to see at least three or four or five different roles, different kind of opportunities emerging, right? This was not the case uh, 20, 30 years back where you would get in and get into a particular role or job or industry and continue to be there for at least four or five decades, right? And that's the kind of change from creating a build-to-last career to a build-to-thrive career. See, if you look at uh, the natural kingdom, the natural world, you look at nature, uh, you look at businesses, the companies that were at the top of their of their game uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, many of them have been wiped out. Some of them reinvent themselves completely starting from scratch. So if you look at any index of successful businesses, there's a constant churn that is taking place. And, um, uh, you know, the ability to thrive is the ability to reinvent yourself with the new circumstances. And the, the pandemic is just one small example. But this is happening all the time. We don't realize it. I wanted to ask you, how does grit and expertise fit into the leapfrog concept that the book starts off with? Right. So, you know, the core of grit is to have passion and perseverance, which can sustain over a period of time. There are many, many books out there uh, on how to do well in your career, in your life. So in, in that sense, there are lots of conversations that are happening around this. One of the fundamental things that we want to leave and actually get our readers to start with is that there is no shortcut to hard work. So you can learn whatever you want to learn, but you have to have the grit to sustain your passion over a period of time. And that's the core that we are talking about in our book, uh, in, right in the first chapter, which is about developing grit. Right? It's about developing the art of endurance, your ability to in, embrace boredom, your ability to sustain that interest over a period of time so that you're able to get to where you want to be. See, the other aspect that we talk about in grit is this deliberate practice. Now, there's this misnomer that if you practice something long enough, 10,000 times is what Martin Gladwell said, you become an expert. But what is often left, left unsaid is that it is not the repetitive practice of the same thing again and again and again. It's making those tiny improvements and even a 1% improvement every time will take your head. So we have used these pillars to explain that grit is not just hard work. It is hard work with intelligence, hard work with, with improvements that you see where your shortcomings are. And we have uh, relied a lot on Angela Duckworth and her concept of grit and used that as a starting point. Uh, let me focus more on this the concept of grit that you have in introduced. Ability to persevere with the same thing, with those improvements. The other is the ability to refine the mental maps that you have developed over a period of time. We all have mental maps and they get imbibed within us and we start by rote repeatedly doing the same thing again and again. And we use the example of driving uh, as we do in India on the left side of the road. Now when you drive for the first time abroad, you're probably driving on the right if you're in the west. And that becomes your mental map. But you need to improve them and over a period of time, make them more accurate and be able to, to, the ability to get them back to you and understand them quickly is what grit is about. 
another statement from the book which really caught my mind was in a way curation is also creation we associate creation with creating something new and curation with decluttering so you're trying to marry a very different concepts together can you emphasize on why and how did you do that so uh, we have used a few examples in the book about this right. because uh, when you curate you bring down a vast large number of things to a fewer more understandable more manageable lot that in fact is creating something new from what already exists so you 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 have lots going on around you but you curate that list and from that curated list you are able to then look at things differently connect things that we have talked about in other chapters that have not been connected before and in fact come out with something new but when there are too many things all around you and the list is so called uncurated those connections don't don't happen i'll also sort of add one line here which is there is a theory around which says um there's nothing new in this world everything mm-hmm. is a recombination of what exists right and when you are looking at curating you're creating you're curating a recombination of what exists in a format that is relevant and that's the power of curation we are living in a world of excess and there is so much that you can't do justice to the problem at hand if you're dealing with everything together you need to find out what's relevant and so it's very very important one of the core of what we are trying to bring out from various elements in this book is how to remain relevant because the relevance is what's going to help you thrive and that's why we think curation is important and curation good curation can lead to creation so we've talked about fishing nets and we give the example of where um, people who lived in small communities on isolated islands had very primitive fishing nets but when islands had larger populations and they were surrounded by other islands with whom they traded then the likelihood of new ideas coming in led to more sophisticated fishing tackles and nets and anthropologists who study this have found that those civilizations prospered so the whole idea of both curation and able to dance between disciplines can lead to something new i have to say that was one of the most insightful ideas that i got from the book uh, it was very interesting to realize that new innovations don't come in isolation it's always about making connections that others have failed to make you've also em- emphasized on embracing boredom which was another very interesting concept to read so what are the methods that have worked for you and uh, what do you have to say about today's social media world which is capturing every second of your attention so you know social media and entertainment and engagement on social media is one of the reasons we are acknowledging that you need to embrace boredom have you ever been bored because you've always had the company of flicking through instagram so there's never been a moment that even if you're waiting for people you're waiting um, you know in public transport or anything you're just constantly um, you know entertained by what you have on social media the core of what we are saying is this generation has never been bored and so when you get bored it's a big deal can you embrace that the first step of that is acknowledging the fact that there is going to be boredom in every task that you do every task in the world has a certain element of repetitiveness which leads you to start feeling bored about it and it's okay to be bored that's step 1 and step 2 is that can you figure out ways to actually make that job fun 
because when when you start bringing in fun into into the task you will stop getting bored easily right so the example that we've talked about in the book is the story of spelling bee where students have to practice and read literally understand dictionary after dictionary right it's a fairly mundane task but can they make it fun and they've talked about how they actually get their grandma to pronounce those words they actually um, you know use a microphone to take out funny sounds and then uh, spell those words out so can you gamify what you are doing to take care of the boredom of it first make sure that you are okay with it and next you know try to make that whole element fun see uh, we all have this experience of getting intensely involved in a job or an activity and then not being able to complete it but when we leave it alone and let our minds wander so called getting bored for some time we then come back with renewed vigor and those connections that we could not establish and we see that in everything that we do so being letting yourself be bored is i think one of the critical aspects that a lot of other authors have also talked about to add to that okesh i think it's important that as parents we allow our children to learn that boredom is acceptable my input here is as parents we should always be okay with boredom being a part of the agenda let me get into the sixth chapter which is titled think entrepreneurially is subtitled the audacity of asking can you talk a little bit more about the importance of this simple task of asking that many of us hesitate to do due to which we can lose out on opportunities so as entrepreneurs right you have to garner resources that you need to make your mission work and one way of getting those sources is actually just going out and asking the world is out there to help there are enough opportunities where you can ask and get those resources we are always hesitant if you don't ask the answer is always no so if by asking you're increasing your probability of getting that resource by 50% why not ask and that is the audacity of asking we've given some very beautiful examples of how people have asked and got what they want does it mean 100% um uh, surety that you will get what you want maybe not but at least you've moved away from where you are today and that's that you're not going to get something if you don't ask for it right you want to talk about the story that we've put in there the satvik story yeah we have a number of examples there okay so um, uh, satvik is a young indian american kid who is uh, in texas and uh, prime minister modi is there being welcomed by trump so they have this big show going on and he's there standing and in the line both the leaders walk past him uh, prime minister modi has gone a few steps ahead and trump just passes by satvik so satvik reaches out and says tells president trump can i have a selfie and uh, trump says sure and then they call attention to prime minister modi who then walks back and satvik extends his hand and takes a selfie which has been described as the most powerful selfie in the world and uh, we give the example here of the kid next to satvik who is completely floored by the 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 audacity that satvik had satvik didn't think it was anything unusual at all to us i i use the concept of opr other people's resources it's a common terminology in in entrepreneurship where resources are never with you they are with other people now unless you ask them you won't get them so entrepreneurs are very good in asking and they don't have an ego so they get to know that's fine they move on and we try to implement that in our book so we asked for blurbs we asked for help sometimes we got it sometimes we didn't perfectly all right 
I would like to stress a little bit more on the hesitancy part. Where do you think the hesitancy of asking comes from? And what is the first step that a person can take to overcome that hesitancy? So I, I, I'll take a shot at that. Um, I think it comes with age and ego. For example, Priyank's ego is much smaller than mine because he's younger. A kid has no ego. A kid will ask for anything and everything. A kid will ask strangers. A kid will ask anybody. But the moment they keep getting no's and then we start boxing the whole idea that if somebody said no, it is bad for you. Now, entrepreneurs have never learned that. So they keep asking and asking and asking. And it's not only asking, but when people ask them, they lend a helping hand. What do you think, Priyat? Absolutely. I think uh, one has to have a, the confidence and a lot of self-confidence in for asking. And the second is, you know, put your ego aside. Yeah. You, you need those resources. Uh, be audacious to ask for those and then pay it forward. Help others who need it. Yeah. One of the things that stuck out to me about the book was how engaging and relevant the content is. Would you like to talk about the things that were left out or the examples that were left out when you were you know, brainstorming these concepts. So there were a number of them that we kept out. We both had to agree that these were interesting. But I think the stories that we have in the book Mm. um, probably are the best you could find. And then we had to shorten them because we can't let stories run into many, many pages. So these are concise stories. But we'll have quite a bit of more information on our website, which builds further on the stories, which we have not been able to put in the book and some new ones also. So we're coming to the end of the podcast. I would like to ask you if there was any excerpt that particularly stuck with you and you would like to share with our audience. Sure. Should we read something from the book? Oh yeah, that would be great. Great. Okay. So I'm going to read a story uh, which is about uh, understanding contrary ideas. Two childhood friends are having a drink at a bar in Alaska. One is a priest and the other is an atheist. They're debating the existence of God. So the priest says, So you still still don't believe in the Almighty, that the Almighty exists? And the atheist replies, Look, it's not that I've not given God a chance. I even tried the prayer thing. It didn't work. The priest replies, Did you really pray? When did that happen now? The atheist says, Just last month. The priest looks at his friend in surprise. The atheist says, I was caught in a terrible blizzard. I was totally lost. I couldn't see a thing. It was 20 degrees below zero. I fell to my knees and cried out, Oh God, if there is a God, I'm lost in this blizzard. I'm going to die if you don't help me. The priest says, Well, you must believe in God now. After all, you're here and alive. And the atheist says, no, that's not how it happened. A couple of Eskimos came by wandering and showed me the way back to the camp. Both smiled, each bemused by the other's dogmatic perspective. Another concept that I, that I, another small story that I liked was this example of a bank robber. Now, sometimes we don't realize or we are too stupid to understand how stupid we are. We we don't have any knowledge of a particular field and we think we are experts in it. And we give the example of a bank robber who has this story about lemon juice that he reads, that if you want to write a, a message which you don't want people to read, write with lemon juice. When you iron the paper, the writing becomes clear. So he heard about it and then he thought that maybe his face 
could also disappear if lemon juice was applied. So he paints his face with lemon juice and takes a picture. The picture is blank. Possibly because the camera was pointed in the wrong direction. But his confidence now goes to a level where he goes and robs a bank. Not only that, he smiles and waves into the camera, quite assured that the picture will be blank. When the cops land up at his place a few hours later, he protests and says, but I applied the juice. Two professors read about this and decide that, can we be so stupid that we don't realize how stupid we are? And that leads to a theory that we've talked about in the book. This has been a very engaging conversation and very enlightening too. I think this is a very good note to end the discussion on. I would like to thank you both for coming to Bookmark. We are truly honored to have you both here and we wish you all the best for your book. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks.